Welcome to Cheap Astronomy's Fantastic Physics Formulas, read by Barry Howarth. And this week's episode is the Fourier Transform. Today we're not going to start by reading out a formula, because the Fourier Transform uses calculus. And really, calculus is applied geometry, where you're either deriving the gradient of a curve, or you're integrating the area underneath that curve. So the terms used in an equation don't make a lot of sense when they are read out. You need to show how the function works graphically, that is, on a graph. Specifically, on a graph that has an x-axis that runs horizontally, and a y-axis that runs vertically, because upon such a graph you can display a function. A function is the relation between a set of inputs and a set of outputs. So if a function is to double everything, and your inputs are 1, 2, 3, and 4, then your outputs will be 2, 4, 6, and 8. So mathematically, that function can be expressed as y, the output, equals 2 times x, the input. And if you plot a line y equals 2x on a graph, with an x and a y axis, you'll get a straight line with a gradient of 2. Of course, in the real world, or at least in the natural world, straight lines aren't very common. But functions are. Lots of things that happen in the real world can be betrayed on graphs with x and y axes, where the x-axis represents time, and the y-axis represents the magnitude of whatever it is you are measuring over time. So you could chart 74 minutes of Arecibo radio telescope tracking data, or you could chart 74 minutes of Beethoven's Ninth Symphony. In either case, you get a waveform with a different amplitude and varying frequencies, which just means particular amplitude peaks will sometimes appear more frequently and sometimes less frequently. But whether you are measuring electromagnetic radiation or measuring the oscillations in atmospheric pressures that create sounds, you'll get a waveform that is, in essence, a function. And this is where the Fourier transform comes into play. Faced with 74 minutes of Beethoven that might only make sense to a human, or 74 minutes of Arecibo radio telescope data that only makes sense to an alien, we can apply the universal translator known as mathematics. The Fourier transform can convert a function of magnitude over time into a function of magnitude over frequency. So rather than seeing the 74 minutes of Beethoven's audio displayed on a very long graph, you would have a shorter graph that just shows the frequency distribution of the whole piece. So, rather than listening through the whole 74 minutes, you can analyse its component frequencies at a glance, identifying the dominant frequencies as well as some minor irregular frequencies that are probably just background noise. The same transform of the Arecibo telescope data might allow you to filter out the frequencies of known natural sources, like pulsars and quasars, and then search through what's left for signs of extraterrestrial intelligence. The Fourier transform is more of a mathematical tool than it is a physics formula, but its application is so entrenched in physics that it deserves special mention in fantastic physics formulas anyway. And in keeping with the theme of the show, here is the formula, though, as we say, it makes more sense when portrayed on a graph than it does in audio. The transformed function, x prime, representing the magnitude, and the phase of a chosen frequency, 
is equal to area under the curve of the original function x times e to the power of 2 times pi times i times x times the chosen frequency. This is all where x represents the interval you are sampling and i is an imaginary number, essentially the square root of minus 1. And after you've run the equation once, you have to run it again and again for all the other major frequencies in your original function. So as well as the Fourier transform being graphical, it's also an algorithm, that is, a systematic way of approximating something. This means it's not a formula where you just plug in some number and you get an answer. You first have to decide on a dominant frequency to sample, and then pick a second frequency to sample, and so on. So people often build computer programs that will do their Fourier number crunching for them. But the first step is always a human-level decision about which parameters to set, and the last step is always a human consideration of whether the algorithmic approximation you ended up with approximates what you were looking for. So this is a formula that melds together both human judgment and mathematics. And that is kind of fantastic. Hello, Steve. Oh, hi, Bridget. It's good to see you're continuing with fantastic physics formulas. Yeah, you might even say it's fan... And you're doing listener requests, too. Yes, and isn't that fan... Steve. Sorry. So, yes, we are doing listener requests now. I think that's a good development, Steve. Now all you need is gender balance. Oh, well, sure. That, that's important. I... Barry is doing an excellent job, but you need more diversity. And we need more women in science. Well, I know that, but I mean, there's you. Steve, I'm a text-to-speech engine. Well, yeah, but, you know, you're Bridget. And whose words am I really speaking? <sighs> you make me feel so cheap when you talk like this. OK, I could ask Darany. Oh, yes, Darany would be great. All great. So can we get on with the episode now? Well, we can until next time. Sure, well... Thanks for your input, Bridget. It's my pleasure. Welcome to Cheap Astronomy's Fantastic Physics Formulas. And today, we are looking at the Hawking Radiation Formula. We generally think of black holes as bottomless gravity wells that suck things down, never to be seen again. But Professor Stephen Hawking has argued that there should be a certain radiative loss from any black hole and we went on to develop a formula that expressed that radiative loss as a temperature, where that temperature T equals h-bar, which is what's known as Planck's reduced constant, multiplied by c cubed, yep, that's the speed of light cubed, and all that is divided by m, the mass of the black hole, times 8 times pi times g times kb, where pi is pi, g is the gravitational constant, and kb is Boltzmann's constant. As much as this humble podcast can explain such complex math, the references to Planck's reduced constant indicates quantized energy is central to the calculation and Boltzmann's constant enables the quantized energy to be converted into a temperature. And since we are dealing with the energy output of a spherical object, the surface area of that spherical object is key to the effect, which is why pi is there. And for any very dense object like a black hole, there is a relationship between its mass and its surface area, which is why m, for mass, and g, the gravitational constant, are also there. But remember that the formula is actually measuring a temperature. 
It turns out that when you run the formula, many of the units of the terms in the equation cancel each other out. So where you have Planck's reduced constant, h-bar, times c cubed, these are expressed in units of energy and distance and time. And in the formula, h-bar times c cubed is divided by g and Boltzmann's constant, which also have units of energy and distance and time. So in dividing the one set of terms by the other set of terms, most of the measurement units of those terms just cancel each other out. Indeed, once you work through all that math and all the various units that do cancel each other out, you are just left with the temperature component of Boltzmann's constant, expressed in Kelvin, and its relationship to the mass of the black hole you are calculating the temperature of. And this is what it's all about. The amount of Hawking radiation emanating from a black hole, which is measured as the temperature of that black hole, is ultimately determined by the black hole's mass, although it's actually an inverse relationship, so the bigger the black hole is, the less Hawking radiation it radiates. That is, the cooler it is. A black hole with the mass of the sun would have a temperature of 6.169 times 10 to the minus 8 Kelvin, which is a temperature well less than 1 Kelvin. And since all the black holes we know about have masses greater than the sun, they will all have temperatures that are way less than 1 Kelvin. The proposed mechanism that underlies Hawking radiation involves a unique set of circumstances that could only happen directly adjacent to a black hole's event horizon. The classical understanding of an event horizon is that once something goes in, it will never come out again. But Hawking proposed that quantum-level phenomena are universal including the phenomenon where paired particles and antiparticles can suddenly appear out of nowhere and then disappear again in a puff of mutual annihilation. So if such events are universal, they will also happen directly adjacent to a black hole event horizon. In that case, one half of that pair might get sucked in while the other remains outside. So rather than a random and self-canceling event taking place, the universe gains a new particle, while the sucked-in antiparticle annihilates within the event horizon, causing a reduction in the black hole's mass. At least, that is one physical interpretation of the complex relationships that are captured in the Hawking radiation formula. Another interpretation involves a particle from the black hole quantum tunneling its way out through the event horizon. A third interpretation involves the black hole repaying a negative energy debt to the wider universe. Whatever the heck that means. Nonetheless, whatever physical processes may underlie it, the formula itself has persisted in the face of an extraordinary level of very public peer review. The groundbreaking nature of the Hawking radiation formula is that it establishes a link between the subatomic strangeness of quantum mechanics and some very real astronomically-sized objects that are generally only characterized by using the space-time curvature of relativity physics. That melding of some otherwise unmeldable physics theory is more than enough reason to call this formula just a little bit fantastic. Fantastic? Oh yes.